Hello, we've been expecting you. I would like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we already know the future. Today we'll be talking about Book 1, Episode 3, The Southern Air Temple. I am Lindsay, and I am joined by Corey, Charles, and of course our host, Mark. Woo! Thanks for that, Lindsay. <laughs> no problem. So, yes, as Lindsay said, we are here to talk about the Southern Air Temple, the third episode in Avatar. Um, so, we'll st- kick things off right away with initial thoughts. So, Lindsay, you did the opening, so why don't you kick things off for us? I, f- I just feel like this episode goes really deep really fast. <laughs> like, <laughs> th- it's only the third episode, and already it's bringing, like, some really deep, dark messages to the show about, like an entire group of human beings essentially getting eradicated and it it's such a very strong and powerful episode because it discusses like very deep things and like very dark things that are happening and it also starts to even kind of introduce you to the character of Zuko which I think I really appreciated probably the most in this episode okay cool uh Corey well as a kid this was the show that pretty much sealed the deal for Last Airbender for me, and right now, today, it holds just as strong as ever. It's really one of my, fa- not only my favorite episodes of Last Airbender, but of just animated uh, television shows in general. It's phenomenal. It, it, it makes you feel every possible emotion on the spectrum. Um, this is really the first episode that you truly see, if you walked into the show blind, um, what a special show this can become, and... Uh, I really don't have enough words to say how special this episode is. All right, Charles? Yeah, it was really emotional. Um, it brought up basically genocide mm-hmm. of the of the airbenders, the people living at the air temples, and it was... And then you get a sense, a deeper sense now of um, what the typical Fire Nation mentality is like, since we get introduced to Zhao and he's arguably fairly typical for people from that country. And, I mean, I think I liked it more when I first saw it, but um, just, like, right now, when I rewatched it, I found it a little bit heavy in exposition. It was kind of forced. Mm-hmm. Done well, but still pretty... Like, there's a lot. Yeah. All right, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, I definitely agree with all you guys about, like, sort of this being just a really... Like, very heavy episode and being very, um, you know, really emotional, really setting the tone for kind of the emotional level that we're going to see. Um, and kind of coming off that first episode, which, yeah, there was, I mean, we talked a lot last week about sort of a lot of the stuff, the setup and stuff, but I don't think we truly got a grasp of the weight that comes with, you know, legitimate genocide and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the wiping out of an entire people until this. And I think that they did a really good job with that. Um, the two things I, I want to specifically talk about, though, are, one, I think this episode does a really interesting job and really sets the tone for this series of its ability to switch between humor and um, really heavy scenes mm-hmm. in a in a way that isn't, like, immature and silly. It isn't like, oh, we'll just throw a joke in for no reason, but actually keeps the episode well-paced, that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of scenes where, okay, we have this sort of fun scene that keeps us, like energetic and then we get this deeply emotional scene and i think the cutting is really really good um another thing that i think just kind of in general i'll talk about the beginning is i think this show the bookends are really good um i really love the opening scene uh i thought that the the, uh just the 
overall animation there was really really pretty and like really like set the teen scene of like ang with like all this hope he's going home he's going to finally see his culture again and then we have the end of him flying away on Appa and this sort of last look back at the temple where he's realizing I don't have a home. Mm-hmm. My home is Appa. My home is is with Katar and, and and Sokka. And I think that was just outstandingly well done of the, of of those bookends. And then I, I definitely agree with with Lindsay about this is really the, the episode we get the introduction to Zuko's character. And I think that that's that's great. Um, all right, so that will bring us now to our episode discussion. Um, as per, as with last week, we're gonna go sort of point by point within the acts of themselves um, and discuss those points. And if people have things they want to bring up, we will, but I will try to throw it to you guys when we get stuff. Um, so I think that it's interesting uh, to note like the, how much Qatar is very clearly aware that the airbenders are probably all dead. And like, it's, it seems like that's pretty common knowledge that the airbenders are wiped out. Uh, obviously Yang has no idea. Uh, but I do think that it, it does show like just the brutality of the Earth King of the Fire Nation here that it not only have they destroyed an entire culture, but like everyone knows it. Everyone understands that the airbenders have been wiped out by the Fire Nation. And I think that's just it really sets the tone for like how awful the Fire Nation actually is. Mm-hmm. It definitely sets them like in, in even more like you've already kind of have like a negative viewing of the Fire Nation. But then this episode for me when I was younger, especially it like totally sealed the deal for me about like this fire nation is like totally brutal. It's barbaric. Like they're just horrible people and they're, they'll like do anything to obtain what they want, which is like world domination essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, what's really um, interesting to me um, is when you make it to the Southern air temple, you notice there was no collateral damage. Like it's pretty much intact. The only thing is all the, the airbenders were wiped out. So I'm kind of curious to know how that type of fight went, if there was really no damage to any of the buildings, the architecture, and all of that. It's pretty interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, I do think it is kind of odd how exactly mm-hmm. the Fire Nation took out the air temples because they don't really have the technology to do it. But I do know that it is related to the comet, so I'm, I'm curious how much Sozin's Comet had a role to play in it. Wait, was it? Actually, yeah. didn't remember that part. No. I always yeah in um in the Avatar and the Fire Lord um, Sozin says that he used the the comet to uh, wipe out the air the air nation because that that's where the next Avatar was coming from. Oh, that makes sense. I figured more along the lines that um we see that I mean to this point in the show and clearly it's different later on, especially when firebenders get boosted by the comet, but. Uh, individual benders aren't really that strong, or aren't shown to be that strong yet. It's kind of a running theme for a while, so it's not that surprising that um, there isn't really like structural damage to buildings. I mean, we'll talk. We'll see. We'll talk about it later in the episode when um, we do Zuko and Zhao's Agnikai. But you know, they're throwing small amounts of flame around in an arena which is clearly fortified against that stuff and it's not doing like anything so it could and keep in mind that the airbenders don't have a formal military it's not like this was a giant siege Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so what i mean is like it could have just been you know a small group or not small but a group of ground level entry level soldiers trained for war against you know people who treasure all life (laughs) yeah so, you know, maybe it was just a slaughter, and that's really, really terrible, but... 
I'm kind of thinking it may have been may have even been like a night attack, like while everyone was asleep, probably. I also I don't think. Know. I mean, in terms of just the 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 flow of the show. I mean, forget about the collateral damage. Um, you only see one dead airbender. Yeah. So again, I'm very like I, I obviously they needed to do that because Aang would have found out immediately that something horrible has happened. But um, I mean, I'm, I'm, unless they clean the bodies up, which I don't think that would have been the case. I, I think it was mostly just done for the way of telling a story that Aang slowly discovers what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that also, I mean, it has also been a hundred years, so, you know, it's not like there's going to be fresh corpses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but skeletons, no? I mean... I mean, yeah, but, you know, they can, eventually are going to get buried, they're, they're going to... You know, after a hundred years, you're not you're probably you're probably not going to have that much. Especially if in the, terms of yeah, especially if they're outside because of the uh, elements in that area too. Like if it's outside, exposed to all the elements, it's gonna it's gonna uh, decompose a lot quicker. But the um the I almost said the senpai's body. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Eng's master. It was in, it, it was inside of a building, and honestly, that I'm pretty sure that's why the body was able to stay intact so much because it was like pr- more protected from the elements. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's sort of the 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 open, um, and then we get uh, we get into Zuko's story, and we we get our first mention oh, of, of Zhao. So, oh wait, yes, and they say Chang, so, go ahead. No. Um... Just you talked about how they open and close with a uh, similar, I guess, visual uh, thing with the air temple, and yep. I think this is a good time to bring up like how artistically that, like that shot or those frames are really different from the rest of the show. Mm. It was mm-hmm. drawn more um, like a painting, almost like yeah, it's the watercolor style. Yeah, yeah so like a recollection, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For Aang, it's, you know, oh, this is what I remember from a distance. This is what I see. These are the fondest, you know, memories of my life. And then as he, well, I guess as he leaves, it's a kind of more bittersweet emotion. Mm-hmm. But So I like that they uh, altered the drawing style for that mm-hmm. and then went back to normal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this will get a little out of order, but uh, when they actually get to the first get to the air temple, I, I wrote down, it almost feels like a dream, like the way they animate it, the way the music comes, it actually, it feels, it definitely feels off, which is, I think, what they were obviously going for, mm-hmm. because Aang, like, something is wrong, there's no one here, um, and I think that that, overall, I think the art style uh, was, was I mean, it's, it's always great in this show, but I think this episode was just particularly great for art style. I'm sure Linz can talk about that at length. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the the end scene with the clouds coming in and the colors and the music. It was like one of like the most beautiful scenes I feel like, and it was just like so reminiscent, especially of um, like a lot of the art style in the entire show is very reminiscent of uh, Asian art itself, and so the um, the setting of it at the end just reminded me of like some ancient like Chinese scroll paintings that I saw once in art history class. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, See, isn't it great to have an art history person on the like, podcast, Damn, guys? It's beautiful. <laughs> all right, yeah. So that you know, I, it's good. Uh, all right, so yeah. So I was. So now we're getting into. We get into Zuko, and we meet Zhao. So uh, I'm just curious, initial thoughts, guys. Like for you, guys, you know, this is our first sort of meeting with uh, 
essentially, you know, one of the main antagonists of, of book one. So, what do you guys think about Zhao in this episode, and and just in general, like Zhao as a as a character? Uh, I guess we'll start with you, Charles. Oh my god, Zhao! <laughs> oh, so when when you first meet Mr. him, Mr. Sideburns himself. <laughs> hey, those, those mutton chops—they're they're, they're real impressive. <laughs> <laughs> There's something. Yep. Um, but when you first meet him. Like just at the very beginning, before they go into the office war room, doesn't know how to. Tea room. Yeah, tea room. The room. (laughs) (laughs) But but before they uh they go in, right? He just he doesn't seem like that terrible of a person. Yeah, he's a dick to Zuko, but we're not really fond of Zuko yet, and um. He just seems like uh, just a general from the Fire Nation, kind of disrespectful to its prince, but then we figure out that, oh, Zuko's exiled, so he's kind of disgraced already anyway, so a lot of people would be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until later in the episode, I guess we're going out of order again. No, it's but, not. Oh my god, he is such a prick. <laughs> yep. That's one word for him. His 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 burn game is on point, and not just because he's a ridiculously he's a firebender. You know, wi- he's a hey. wild, crazy shooting firebender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Corey, I'm gonna kick it to you. Uh, what's uh, what are your initial thoughts on Jiao and just him as a as a character? I love him. Not he's a likable character. Not because you have empathy towards him, but because he plays the role he's supposed to play spot on perfectly. He's intimidating. He so back this is when let's let's go back. We when we first see the first two episodes, we obviously think Prince Zuko is the main antagonist here and he's just gonna be the main villain trying to catch the Avatar. And then you see him and you realize that there's much worse than Zuko and he in one episode, you, you see Zuko is not only not the main antagonist, but he's actually very empathetic. You, you know why he's acting the way he is. And you see someone like Commander Zhao just take the spotlight in terms of being the villain from him. And he, he has such... He's, he, he comes across as strong, intimidating. Um, he's obviously ambitious. He just... He plays the role he's supposed to play so much. He's really one of my favorite villains in just the Avatar universe as a whole and and knowing what happens to him you know moving forward it's it's poetic justice I, I, I really love him as a character and <laughs> oh that's that fucking scene <laughs> oh excuse my language excuse, excuse my language <laughs> no um, yeah uh, alright Lens, what are you okay so I basically just instinctively think of Zhao as, like, dickhead McGee. Like, he's just such a dickhead. Like, I hate him. Like, dude, take a chill pill. Like, he's so mean. And obviously, like, that's that's the whole point of him. But I just... He, like, he really just goes, like, where he knows it's gonna hurt Zuko. And I feel like, like, kind of what Corey was saying is that you thought... Zuko was bad, but then, like, this character, Zhao, comes along, kind of, like, even kind of humanizes Zuko. Like, you get a better understanding of him. So, I just think that that was a really good kind of, like, um, turnaround, especially in this episode, where you're just, like, 
damn, you know, I thought Zuko was bad, but look at this fucking jerk over here. Like, this, this, and it also kind of reiterates the negativity that we saw in what the firebenders did to the airbenders, because, like, you see people like Zhao that are in, essentially, they're in charge of the country. Like, he's one of the main, like, army people. And so when you see people like that, it kind of, like, also clicks, like, well, of course, like, people like this are the ones that would be doing this type of thing to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I think Zhao is interesting because it's, I, I think that he feels kind of, he ends up kind of filling a weird role uh, when you look at the overall course of this show because he's... Like, he's not the overarching villain. Obviously, that's Ozai. Mm-hmm. And he's not like, like, Ozai is the, like, extremely terrifying, sort of, you know, mass behind fire for two seasons villain who, who we, you know, we don't get to see. And to some extent, Zhao is sort of, like, a little, a lot more comical mm-hmm. to some degree. I mean, there, there are plenty of episodes where, where he ends up, like, kind of losing quite spectacularly. And even here, like, he does lose pretty badly in the first episode to Zuko. Um, but I think that what's interesting about Zhao to me is that I th- you know, I think someone brought this up about like sort of representing like what the Fire Nation army is and like how there are these ambitious people who are using this war to make a name for himself and like he clearly is trying everything in his power to get recognition and become this like, you know, amazing admiral or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. him. And I think it just it's interesting to sort of look at the world through through Zhao's perspective because to some degree there are things that he's doing that I think make a lot of sense to him, but you sort of because we recognize the Fire Nation is wrong, we kind of see him as like not very good. Yeah. I don't know, I think it's just interesting. And you know what I really liked um when they were talking about how much progress the Fire Nation made as a whole, Zuko was like it's it's my father's foolish for thinking that people will willingly want to bow like bend, mm-hmm. bend over to the fire nation and that was like wow like look how far like far you fall in and like it just shows the two different ideologies that i, I think zuko is more realistic to what the other people are, are thinking especially because he's exiled and he you know he he doesn't like his father and doesn't really support the whole crusade while admiral uh, or at this point commander uh Zhao just he is so sure that the Fire Nation is not only doing what's right, but is going to end up taking over the world, and that's that. Well, what I think is actually so interesting about that line is that Zuko says that, like, out of almost petulance. Like, he is obviously at this point loyal. He wants to the Fire Nation to win the war. He wants to go back and become Fire Lord and all that. And I think to some degree he says that almost out of, like, like sort of young child arrogance of, like, yeah, my father's, a, you know, no way my father's actually going to win. Like, it, it felt very almost somewhat immature in that, and, and I think that that's a lot of book one Zuko. But what's interesting is how much that, like, play eventually plays into Zuko later on once he's matured and, and sort of learned things about the world when he has that conversation in... Um, that they reveal in the first part of the finale, um, when he said, you know, they in the, his um, Ozai asked Zuko, like, do, how do you, how can we get the uh, Earth Kingdom to, you know, sort of subjugate and to, to bow down? And he's like, well, they're strong people. They can't, you know, they're not just gonna, as long as they have hope, they're gonna gonna hang around. And it's interesting that like, it's it's basically the same perspective of like. Ozai is a fool to think that the people of the world are just going to bow down to him, but the first time it comes out of a place of immaturity, while the second time it comes from a place of, like, humbled and maturity, and I've, I recognize other, and empathy. And I just think it's really interesting how, like, it's the same idea, but from completely different places, and it really changes how you feel about Zuko. To be fair, Zuko's been needled into saying that, too. 
Um, oh no, I'm not. I'm not so much criticizing him, but what I, I mean to say is it like it like that's I, to me Zuko in that scene is not being like I understand the Earth Kingdom. I understand like I know all about world affairs. I think that he's he's trying to shoot back. He's been needled and needled and needled, and he's shooting back at at Zhao and kind of shooting back at his father, who's you know attacked him as you know as a child to some degree as a child mm. would. No, yeah, exactly. So like the first time he says it, it's not. It's like a playground argument. Oh, I have to come up with something to respond, even if it might not make sense or might not be the best thing to say, like children do. But the second time, it's actually like a measured response, and that it's not the perfect analogy, but it's also kind of part of his um, status as a Fire Nation citizen. <laughs> Each point. Citizen is the right word. I mean, are you a citizen in exile? Are you still a citizen? I don't... Oh, that that I'm not sure, but they are in fact citizens. That is... Alright, so... Uh, that is the term they do use. Well, I mean, I guess as exiled prince versus restored yeah. prince who could, in theory, inherit the uh, the throne. Mm-hmm. So, in, in, yeah. in one, it's like, oh, uh, I, I still love my country, but I, I don't want to... I Like, I, I'm... I've been so needled, I'm just going to say something bitter. And the second one is like, well, this is a real problem. What's the solution? How can we fig- how can we solve this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's all true. Uh, just one thing I want to kind of go back to, because we kind of gotten a little bit more into the Zuko and, and, and um, Jiao conversation later on, um, is Iroh in the, uh, the, first, the first scene with Zuko. Um, and sort of like Iroh's view of respect and sort of, you know, someone in, is offering you, I mean, A, you're offering you tea, and, you know, Iroh's never going to turn down tea, but <laughs> on a more serious level, like, Iroh is, is sort of has this view of, like, you know, a, a, a respected member of the military offered you tea to come sit and have a conversation. It's your duty to, res- to, to accept that. And I think it's just interesting to sort of see Iroh as, you know, in that role as, as sort of being the, you know, we need, you need to, there's certain, there's certain things you must follow. Because I think Iroh recognizes from, like, the first moment that, you know, Iroh, that Zhao is, you know, an idiot. But I think that he realizes that in the world you should be respectful and you have, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, you be respectful. Mm. I kind of took it more as, um, he essentially is kind of getting on Zhao's, not, not good side really, but, like, he's kind of, like, kind of warming up to him like okay yeah like we'll be respectful cool but I, f- I also kind of feel like that's kind of Iroh kind of being even a bit calculating in terms of well you know what like clearly this guy like he is manipulative he's like me him and my ne- nephew do not get along at all but I feel like he might like I feel like he's kind of trying to get closer to Zhao in order to kind of even like kind of be more protective of Zuko if that makes sense hmm I don't know I I don't know if I, I'm not saying necessarily wrong, but I, I to me that felt very much like like Iroh just has a very it doesn't matter who Zhao was that if someone off you know if, if someone makes this offer you be respectful mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's very much like this you know just Iroh having this sort of level of respect and this level of this is how you're supposed to act and he's trying to instill in Zuko this you know this respect and this this sort of this is the proper way that you act in mm-hmm. in these situations. Um, and I think we see a lot of that throughout Iroh, throughout this show, with Iroh sort of saying you have to, you have to treat, you sort of treat things the right way. You have to, you, you have to do things the right way. And it doesn't matter who you're talking to, you f- treat others with with the appropriate respect. Mm-hmm. I um, 
completely agree with you, Mark. Um, 100%. Um, Uh-oh. Maybe I have to change my mind. <laughs> no, no, believe it or not, believe it or not, I think you uh, nailed it on the head. I think uh, it's, a, it's, again, that's why I love Iroh so much. Everything he does is try to make Zuko a, a better person. And I think Zuko really has two faces that he could have gone, and Iroh's trying to steer him to the light. And then he obviously could have gone to Commander Zhao. He could have been, like, another Commander Zhao without Iroh. And I, I think... You're 100% right if um, he was trying to steer him into a respectful way, especially we'll talk about it obviously later in the episode about what happens at the end of their confrontation. Um, that's how you see it too. I definitely ag- like, yeah. I, I agree that definitely he is trying to do that to uh, his nephew and everything, like raise him like that. But I also just feel like just knowing how complex of a character Iroh is, especially later on with everything, like he's got to also have, like, other stuff, like, brewing in his brain about, like, stuff. Like, it's not just like, oh, yeah, be mm. respectful. Like, I I, dis- I disagree with that. I And I know we talked a little bit, like, you kind of laid out kind of the Iroh, con- not, I mean, conspiracy, but, like, Iroh, like, at what, is at this point, is he actively working sort of against, working to, to sort of support the Avatar and things like that? I, I just, ha- I don't get that vibe. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, I, I feel like Iroh is... You treat people this way, and that's it. You it, there's no there's nothing else to it. That it's not you only treat them this way because there's a plan or because you're trying to do something. I I I feel like he says this is how this is how the world is supposed to function. This is how you're supposed to act around others. Um, I don't I I mean I I guess I kind of disagree with you in general about like at what point Iroh changes sides, but I I really don't get that vibe. And mm-hmm. hey, if you do, that's fine. I'm just you know yeah. personally I don't. I think both are too. I can be correct. Uh, just because Iroh is mentoring Zuko doesn't mean that he can't keep an eye out on people for his own reasons or his own affairs or anything. And, I mean, we know for sure at this point, Iroh is scary intelligent. Regardless of his allegiance, he would be able to read the tension and understand that, hey, I can tell my nephew, all right, in this social situation, this is how you act. You treat, you know, the commanding officer with respect. But at the same time, you can be also be thinking, well, maybe I should follow along and make sure that things don't get too out of hand so that I can protect Zuko in mm-hmm. worst-case scenario. They do kind of get out of hand, though. Well, yeah. They do, they do end up fighting. No one's perfect, okay? <laughs> he tried. Oh, yeah. He's okay. He's trying to control a, a rebellious teenager, man. Come on. Full of angst, it's... okay? He's an angsty but teenager. But I just feel like if that was if that was the case, then he would have been like if 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 if, if Iroh's playing an angle there, I feel like then he's just like let's just move on because he knows that putting these two people are together is going to cause major fighting and major tension. Like Iroh obviously knows that. I just think that he, to him, this is the way you operate. Someone offers you tea, you accept it. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I've always read Iroh. Uh, I mean, he's one of my favorite characters, so I may give him too much credit on a lot of things, but I've read him always as like, scarily intelligent even though it's not always shown mm-hmm. so maybe this is i mean this is an extreme point of view but i'd say that maybe he also read into that and said and is thinking well this is a good way to give zuko some more seasoning 
I know they don't mm-hmm. like each other, yeah. but I can have him get more seasoning, more experience in an essentially controlled environment. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about the confrontation later, but clearly he's prepared in case of wor- absolute worst-case scenario. Yeah, well, like, but he only steps in when it's Zhao being disrespectful. I like. I, I just. I don't. I don't read Iroh that way. I. I don't. I don't. I. Not that I don't think he's intelligent, but I. I don't read him as this like kind of master, like plotter. I. I read him much more as just someone who has a very specific belief system, and respect plays a major role in that. Oh, I. I didn't mean like in terms of plotting. I just no. meant like in terms of nurturing Zuko. This is, would maybe he read it as a good experience for him. Finding someone who is mm-hmm. arguably I, I just I just dis- disagree on that one, but I mean that's that's fine. I mean, hmm. Totally reasonable to disagree here. Corey, you something you want to say? I mean, I, I feel like I feel like if Iroh was always two, three, four steps ahead, um, he would have known that you really can't keep the news that the Avatar not only is the Avatar back, but that um, Zuko confronted him from the Fire Nation, and, I mean, isn't that, like, I feel like he would have told Zuko. Like, obviously you can't tell Zuko anything, he won't listen to you, but trying to hide the fact, the crew would get interrogated. So if Iroh really was thinking two, three steps ahead, would he have tried to avoid this entire thing that shows that Zuko's been lying? It, obviously it was going to become uncovered, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Alright, that's a fair point. I didn't even, mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. I, I just I don't know I the reason I liked it, the reason at least I brought this the reason I like this scene is because I just I love how on like both the complexity but to some degree actually the opposite the the simplicity of Iroh's character that to me Iroh actually has a very simple simple view of the world in that there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things and I and I like that that he's very it, from, from what we see of him he's very consistent on that and I and I that I really like about him and it doesn't matter if he's with the Fire Nation, or when he's not with the Fire Nation, he still has that Iroh calm, that Iroh, this is the right way to do things. And I think, I just, I, I love that about him. Alright, so now we're, we're 30 minutes in, and we're five lines down on my on my outline. So this is, we're, we're just moving along. Um, so... That's uh, that's good. So I, I, I really like um, I, I said I mentioned it before, but I really like the opening at the Air Temple. Um, how it just the, the the way the shots are constructed, the way the music works, it it really feels like this this dream. It feels really off, um, and you can see Ang like starting to realize something is wrong, but then being distracted and starting to realize something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I and I really I really like that. Um, and I also like that this is our first like true motherly Katara that like Katara sort of saying we need to protect Aang from the truth we need to keep Aang from mm-hmm. knowing what we know the airbenders are all dead but we don't want to we don't need we need to make sure he doesn't do it and I think that that's um that's interesting that like you get this um if this is our really first moment of Katara being that like parenting figure you know um in that perspective mm-hmm. I also thought it was I mean interesting how the beginning the first, what, eight minutes of the episode, Katara was trying to tell Aang, like, listen, uh, something happened, like, this, like, I, I think Katara knew the entire time what could have been, and the second there was proof, the second they, they realized 
the Fire Nation was actually there, and she was about to show Aang for true, she covered it up with the snow, so how she had a, a change of heart, uh, try to protect him a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Charles Lins, anything on that? No, it, it, it kind of like, just like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know sure. what just happened. Uh, just kind of going um, off of what you said, just kind of like reiterating mm-hmm. that motherly kind of figure that uh, Katara is, and even when uh, she hides the mask from him, like from him, by uh, putting the snow on Sokka, and Sokka goes like, "You know, you can't protect him forever." Mm-hmm. That kind of line, like I always remember that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we get our first. Oh, go ahead, Charles. No, no, the, just the same thing. It was. Um... It's interesting how she changes when she sees his, like, emotional response to actually being at the air temple. Because before, it's like a hope, right? And then, as Aang actually sees the space, he gets super depressed when he sees how empty and barren it is. And, I don't know, maybe she's responding to that. But, who's Mm -hmm. to say? Um, so then, then we get our first uh, flashback sequence of Aang from back before uh, the the um, before shit went down. Yeah, before <laughs> shit went down. Uh, and I think I mean this is just another example. I just and I mentioned this I think multiple times last week of how much I love this show showing the difference between wartime and peacetime. And like we see this this you know vibrant temple with tons of animals and and. You know the the monks and everyone sort of seems like they're having a particularly good time. You have a bunch of old, you know the older ones sort of meditating, and it just it's so it's so different to anything we've seen in the world, even in just three episodes, and to, especially to what we're seeing in the temple now. And I just I really think this show does an amazing job of war, of the cost of war, not just in a yes we see it in the sort of humanitarian like a lot of people are dying, but also in the culturally like this entire culture is gone. And I, I just, I, I absolutely uh, am so impressed with, with their ability to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing I want to sort of say, and I mentioned this last last week, um, when you have Katara sort of, uh, when they go up to the statue of Kiatso and, and Katara's like, you must miss him to, to Kiatso. And I, what I think is another one of these interesting moments where I think it just, it still hasn't really dawned on, like it, the Aang, really hasn't been away from Kiazzo for that long in his mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably been away for, what, a week, if that? Yeah. And yet, it's been 100 years, and the entire world is completely different. And I think it's, like, really weird. Like, I feel like it'd be really weird to return home and return to your where you lived, and basically the entire world is different because you've been incapacitated for so long, but you don't even, like, you don't even feel like it. And I think that's in- just interesting from, like, Ang's mental state and sort yeah. of also kind of goes to like the the lack of sense like why Ang has a hard time accepting that, mm-hmm. that what has actually happened because like it's not like it feels like it's been a hundred years it feels like it's been you know not that long yeah the concept of time especially for uh Ang is just like a really thing really interesting thing to consider with like what you were just saying about like how he really isn't aware of how much things have changed and so much time has really passed but his unawareness of everything it just it creates a really interesting dynamic that i think is like really interesting in the show mm-hmm. um so then we get so then we flash back over to the um 
back over to the Fire Na or the Fire Nation port or whatever it is. Uh, we got a, the the sort of first bit of Zhao and Zuko conversation, but we talked a lot about uh, yes, that we did. <laughs> already. So we'll we'll kind of move on. Um, so then we're back with um, that. And the one thing is we do get we get the first uh, real like uh, past lives thing, which which sort of becomes a pretty big deal through the rest of the show and then into Korra. Um, you know, and obviously we know it's been what ten thousand years, or I guess nine thousand something in thirty years, because it's in seventy what seventy years from now it'll be ten thousand years. Um, I don't want to actually do the math right now. Um, so you know, we kind of get the like the number of avatars and like how how long standing this has been. Like Aang is not it's not new, like the avatar is not a new concept at all, mm-hmm. um, which I think is interesting. But one thing I have to say, and this is just a, this is going to be a quick quick Mark rant, which we're going to do a lot of. Here we go. Um, <laughs> I know I'm the only person who gets pissed by this, but it really annoys me that Kiyoshi is not the statue before um, Roku. Like, it really bothers me. Uh, because the next episode is Kiyoshi, and it's like, how did they not get that right? Like, this show is so good at getting small details right, but that's, like, one detail that there's, like, this random earthbender behind uh, behind uh, Roku. And, like, fine, if you want to have Yang Chen and Kirin off, that's fine. They're very minor characters. We don't really talk about them for a while. But, like, Kiyoshi, next episode. How did they not get that right? Sorry. That's the one small rant that well, I don't... you know what? That, that kind of gets me annoyed, too, because they're all supposed to be in order. And she... Wasn't she the... Yeah, she's before Roku. Yeah. So, uh, Avatar people kind of fucked up dropped the ball on that one yeah the avatars we know are kieran or yang chen the airbender kieran the waterbender um uh, kiyoshi the earthbender uh roku the firebender ang airbender korra mm-hmm. the waterbender yeah and then wan the first avatar ten thousand years oh, ago wan. oh wan turtles <laughs> <laughs> oh god let's not even. Let's turtles uh, all right so uh one thing i do want to on a serious note though about about the about that though i want to talk about is um sort of like this idea of like how much um the reincarnation is like how much does the previous avatar like carry over into the next one because mm-hmm. like ang knows these statues are familiar he instinctly knows um that Roku is like that. That's Avatar Roku, even though he's never met them, he's never seen him. Um, so to some degree, like we know that there is this carryover, and we we find out later with the toys that Ang that Ang plays with. We find out later, uh, and then in Korra, when Korra refers to Wan's teacup as my teacup, like there's sort of this or teapot. Um, sorry, that so we know that there is some level of like the Avatar carrying over, but at the same time, we it sort of sometimes doesn't come up. And I'm just curious what you guys think about that. So I guess if we'll go around, Charles, you want to start us off? Um, I always thought it was really interesting. It's it's like the it's the Avatar spirit being reincarnated, um, and you know clearly there's some overflow, and you you know they go into the spirit world, and then they can talk to their past lives directly, or pseudo directly. Um, so I always thought it was kind of interesting how much it fluctuated. Because there's some things you would think they recall but don't. And then it's not like you get any major recollection. It's just like small details about their lives. Uh, whereas Aang doesn't know Roku's story with Sozin until, well, that episode happens. Mm-hmm. So 
I was always really interested in whether that's um, just something they made up for convenience for identification or if it's mm. like something that depends on the spiritual balance of the world or something. Well, here, here's a question I would ask you, though. Does Aang, you sort of say Aang doesn't know the story of Roku until that episode, but does Aang, isn't that to some degree a vision he's having in his head? Like, is that like he knows it, but he does it can't recall like i'm i'm curious like how like to some degree the mechanics of it but like i don't know it just it it, it does intrigue me a little bit about like how much uh that happens lynn do you want to say that um i just kind of always think of this whole like oh yeah it's so strange i just kind of knew like i always kind of took it as more of like a cop-out kind of like oh yeah like to kind of move the plot along like I, I think it would have been cool if maybe, like, throughout the show, just randomly, like, Aang just, you can, he can do something that, like, he, that's really out of nowhere, that, like, maybe one of the previous avatars did or something, and it was like, oh, wait, why do you do that? And he goes, I don't know, I just kind of know how to do it, like, kind of like that, like, I feel like to have it more throughout the entire show rather than just, like... Well, isn't that the avatar state? No, I'm, ta- I'm talking about more, like, just in general life like th- hmm. th- i don't know i don't know if i'm wording that right it's it's hard to explain <laughs> i'm sorry mm-hmm. no, that's all right Corey, anything yet i think it makes perfect sense um i mean the whole idea of the avatar state is kind of a deus ex machina in itself so i i feel like the fact that ang can identify roku who's literally his previous life but you know has bits and pieces makes perfect sense i mean it's his most previous life so I I, I, could, I I don't think it was just a convenient plot um, thing added by the writers. I think in real life, I mean, obviously we can't say what it would be like in real life if there was this type of reincarnation avatar spirit, but it makes a lot of sense to me that he could identify his previous life, like literally previous life, and it just comes to him, and some things come to him and other things don't to him. I, th- I think that's a pretty established thing in just like writing and, and cinema and stuff. And we do know Rava is in all of them. So mm-hmm. there is there is at least some carryover in terms of spirits. Yeah. Not that we have to discuss book two of Korra. <laughs> That's for another day. Um, so then we get, uh, we get Lord Momo enters, Momo! enters the scene. Um, and I, I really love the, uh, the way Aang is here because like, this is the first thing he's seen in the temple that is normal like the first thing that should be there that he finds um and it's like the lat like appa and momo are like the last things from the airmen air uh vendors there and i just i i love how you, you can see at the joy on ang's face about this like how he's like finding one thing that that's right with with the world um i just think that that's great um in terms of like just showing ang's character and showing the state of the world yeah yep. and I think also him just even chasing Momo with uh, Sokka, like, you know, brings back some nice childhood memories. And just, you know, like, you know, again, this is like the ultimate distraction for him. So mm-hmm. it was just, you know, as you said, it was a very regular, normal thing for him. I kind of considered it also as like seeing that kind of reaction from it. It like, it kind of reiterates to you as the audience, like, listen, yeah, he's, yeah, like really deep stuff, Avatar, save the world and everything. But like, He's a twelve-year-old kid that wants to chase around a lemur too. Like, it mm-hmm. it kind of also brings the viewer back to exactly like how old these kids are, like who they are, and everything. Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, all right, so then we, we, we switch back, um, and we get to, like, the real juicy part of Zhao and uh, Zuko's fight. And, I, A, I really love just how much Zhao can, can, can get out of Zuko's skin and, like, just totally knows how to bait him, totally knows how to play him. Um, and I think that that's really good. Um, and I also think, like, this is this really is Zuko's character introduction. As much as, like, the first episode we get a little of it, to me, this is this is where Zuko's character really is mm-hmm. uh, comes about. Like, we get to really get, like, Zuko fleshed out. Um, with him being banished, how, you know, his relationship with his father, how much he wants his father's love. Um, and with that, I, after, you know, the, the Agni Kai challenge, um, we get this amazing shot of Zuko's face. Um, and I love how they frame the scar because to me, it, 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 it allows them to do storytelling through a camera move, Mm -hmm. which is just so useful because like, we don't, we haven't heard the story. We're not going to hear the story for another like seven episodes, but we know everything we need to about the scar and about Zuko's banishment from a camera move. And I just, I, I think that that's a, that's such a great attention to detail. Um, and in an animated show where like, you don't really talk about camera moves so much, but to me, this is like, this is just outstanding editing. This is, this is really well done, really well story. I'm sure really well storyboarded and just, uh, mm-hmm. I really love it. Kind of like going off of that whole thing about like the, uh, the camera movement and um, kind of also that idea of looking back at Zuko's past. One of my favorite parts of this show was even when, um, Iroh says to Zuko, like, don't you remember the last, like, what happened? Like, did you forget what happened last time you were in Agni Kai? And he just says, like, I'll never forget. And it just had, like, this beautiful zoom in on his eye. And that, it's like, looking at it now, because you know exactly, like, what happens. I think that right there is, like, just a great way of kind of hinting at it, but not, like, obviously not giving it away. And it just, like... No, I I think it straight up gives it away, but without having to say it. That it's just... They're they're telling a story just with how they frame the camera. And I love that. To me, that is... When Mm -hmm. you can do that, you're you're pulling off great storytelling. Mm -hmm. Corey Charles, anything you want to add? 100% agreed. Um, it's the type of subtlety that you know makes the show what it is and it's not even like they've had even more subtle moments uh this one was pretty standard and it's as you said it it tells an entire backstory in one shot Mm -hmm. charles yeah it's just really impressive that's all i got (sighs) so then we go back to Aang, and, and I, I just kind of like how they're sort of bouncing between these two stories mm-hmm. um, with Aang and, and Zuko. Um, and, you know, first and foremost, god damn, Kiazzo, he wrecks some shit, man. Don't fuck There's with a lot them. of dead firebenders there. <laughs> he wrecks some, pe- some, 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 some people. Don't fuck with um, Kiazzo. <laughs> oh, well, apparently, but unfortunately, don't fuck with the Fire Nation. Um,. <laughs> And I, but I also I really like with with the Ang um, Avatar State scene. Um, I love that he cries first. Mm-hmm. That it's not like his init- It's not the initial reaction of like he sees it and immediately goes in the Avatar State. Because I, to be honest, when I when I was seeing it, I, I didn't. I kind of figured that I was like, oh, of course, his initial reaction. He sees this and he immediately jumps into the Avatar State. But I really like that initially he he's like crying and he's upset and you sort of see this. His mentor is dead and he's. He's, he's realizing he's like what has happened yeah. and then the rage sets in. And I, I really like that because I think it adds just just a little tick of complexity there that it's not just 
he's you know extreme like totally raged out and goes into the avatar state that there at first like his emotions like actually hit kind of a leveling there and i and i i just i, I really enjoy that it's a, another one of those like really small things but I, I i like it a lot i guess, I, guess <laughs> no, I, mean, okay. I mean no it's no, fine yeah. i'm just no yeah it's really good and Lindsay talked about this earlier for Aang, it's only been like a week, maybe two. So he literally just left Gyatso after a fight with him. Well, I mean, with just the um, monks in general about being the Avatar. You know, he doesn't believe he doesn't want to be. Then he freezes himself in the storm. So basically for him, he left. He came back two weeks later, and his mentor and... Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, it's clear that everybody at the temple is dead. Yeah. And I, you know, I agree with you. It's really uh, important, actually, that he's sad first and then angry. Because mm-hmm. it shows that he's more empathetic than... Like, vengeful. Yeah, than vengeful. Go ahead, Corey. I have a, I have a question now. Do you think Aang just repressed the idea that they could be dead altogether? Because... In the end, for, for Aang, what's the difference for Aang if, you know, they were murdered by the, the Fire Nation or if they just died of old age of 100 years? Let's say we were in peacetime right now. Um, I, I, do you think Aang, when he, you know, just represses the idea that they might even be dead at the moment? And because uh, I'm, I'm, you do see my, the point I'm trying to make? I, I think he knows that Kiazzo and, and alike are dead. Uh, or And definitely. But I don't think that he... Um, I, I think I think that there's a difference between like everyone he knew is dead and his entire culture is dead. I, and also, yeah. I think that there is a difference between them dying of like I think it'd be one if he came across like Kiazzo's tomb and it's like you know died peacefully in his sleep. I think Ang would have like shed a tear, but he would have been like, well, at least he lived a good life. It's a big difference than when he was yeah. killed in something Ang theoretically should have stopped. Like it was his job to stop. Like in a huge kind of. standoff between like the yeah. Between uh, Kyoto and uh, the Firebenders. Yeah. Then we get our second Avatar state, and I, I, okay. I actually like. I have something I really need right, to talk ahead, about. I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Lance. Okay. Nope, go ahead. So, when he goes off in the Avatar state, all the Avatar statues in the Air, in the air Temple, in the Earth Kingdom, Water Tribe, and Fire all light up. And then, like, oh my gosh, tell the Fire Lord the, the Avatar's back. Did that not happen also when he when the Avatar State last episode? Because No. Uh, why not? I'm just wondering. Like, I I don't I think because of where he is. I, I, I think that it, it's entirely uh, has to do with where he is. But I, I don't know. I think that to some degree it's there's there's not a particularly good uh, thing that. Alright, so <laughs> we'll we still have a whole bunch of stuff we want to talk about, but Corey just informed me he's gotta gotta head out. So I'm gonna give Corey like five minutes so that he can do his um, his final thoughts, uh, how this episode has changed, and he can rate it, uh, and then we will um, talk about the uh, Lindsay, Charles, and I will talk about the Act Three um, when we are he's done. So go ahead, Corey. So um, when I first went into this episode, like today, like when I rewatched the episode today, I I, I knew I wasn't going to give you know all these. I, I try to rate on a curve because again, I'm, I'm comparing this to all television, and I'm comparing this to everything I've ever watched, and I first went in remembering the episode I said at first when I watched the episode it was going to be a nine probably when I was said and done and the more I got through the episode 
the more the rating went up. And from a nine to the sec like the second act when Aang discovers, you know, what truly happened, enters the Avatar state, we made it to a nine point five. And then when we made it to the you know the end of the fight with um, Commander Zhao and Zuko, it kept going up and then to the pitch perfect ending of them flying away and, and the Southern Air Temple goes into the distance and you see less and less of it. Um, uh, the, my final score for this episode is a 10 out of 10. I think this is wow. not only a perfect Avatar episode, it's, it's one that set the bar for me. It's the one, it's my favorite one in, in book one by, by a large margin. And compared to other television I've watched, it, it stands up. And I would recommend anyone who has never watched Avatar The Last Airbender, has, knows nothing about it even, to start here. Because this episode truly, after this is the third time watching it, and I, I, I still feel emotion through the beginning to the end. I, every emotion you can feel, you feel in this episode. And I had unbridled joy rewatching it again. And this is, is perfect television. Wow. I, I actually, I'm actually, I'm very surprised that we had a 10 this early. I don't think it's unwarranted. I just, I am surprised. Just so you know, I will be holding you to that. With any episode you raise a 10 for now, and I'm going to say, I, is this episode as good as this as Southern Air Temple uh, and is Southern Air Temple as good as that episode? I'm just... You will probably not hear me say 10 out of 10 for a long time, if even ever again. <laughs> uh, maybe you will. I have to keep rewatching, but I, 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 mm. I'm telling you this, at least for me, holds a place in my heart, and I, I rewatching it today... I, I felt more emotion watching it today than I did my obviously my first time as a kid, and I, even my second time, and I just rewatched it because I knew how much I loved this episode. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye to Corey now because um, he has to go, and we will get back into the uh, episode discussion uh, with Lindsay and Charles. Um, so we left off with uh, so the last thing I was I was gonna talk about with the Avatar state. Um, I really like how. Like, terrifying and how powerful Aang seems in this, even though he isn't doing anything. Like, he's just kind of spinning some air around him. But for the, but he looks so powerful at this state. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he even looks more powerful than he was bending, when he was bending the water last episode. And I just love that, that, like, he doesn't have to actually do anything, and he still looks incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of emphasized, too, just how powerful he is, because... At first, when it shows him going to the Avatar state, he's in that building. And at one point, it shows Katara, like, yelling after him, like, we are, we are a family. And I noticed around her, there's no more building around them. Like, they're just, like, <laughs> holding on to rubble on the ground. Like, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. Charles? I mean, we, we see him blow up the building in the episode. Yeah. Straight up. But, um... Yeah, I, I was really impressed with how they did the um, Avatar State here. It's clear that it's significant. Like, yeah, we, we've been told that the Avatar is the one who who's going to save the world. But here it's like, now we realize every nation has a temple specifically dedicated to the Avatar. And that alerts mm-hmm. them when he or, he or she... Uh, awakens i guess or goes into the avatar state so cool and then we get the display of power mm-hmm. and i mean given that we're uh, about to compare that to what zuko and Zhao are doing later in the episode you clearly see how uh, important that is to yeah the world 
All right, so that's the perfect transition into the Agni Kai. And oh my God, do I love this Agni Kai. This, this fight is just so outstandingly good. Um, I just, fire, the firebending looks out just so cool. Mm -hmm. uh, this is our first real chance where we get to see firebending. Um, I also, I think that you can very clearly see the difference between Zuko and Zhao and that Zhao does seem to be using more kind of complicated, more like advanced techniques. But at the same time, Zuko is sort of using his basics as uh, Iroh says to him, um, how like really well. Um, I also love just how much you can see how sloppy Zhao is, and mm -hmm. I don't think you get it so much in this episode, but when you compare it to, like, Azula's fighting and, like, the fighting we see, like, towards the end of the show, like, Zhao is pretty sloppy. He's definitely not on the same level, and I think that that's just a great touch that, you, like, you, I said before in the last episode about how much I love them showing firebending and show or bending in general, like the, the, the progression about what's a good bender and what's a bad bender without just like saying, Oh, that guy's a great bender. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that that's just, just really good really early on. Um, another thing about this fight that I love is I, this definitely feels like a sword fight to me, but with their swords being firebending as opposed to swords. Um, and I just, I, that I love. I mean, I personally, I just, I, I'm a big fan of sword fighting in general, uh, visually. And I just think that they, they really play that, um, very well. And then with the end, when, when Je uh, Zuko sort of, you know, does the whole firing thing at the ground, you know, very reminiscent of like a medieval sword fight where they would stab the ground as opposed to stabbing the person. Um, and I just, mm -hmm. that, that I think is just, it's, it's really well done. It feels like a real fight between maybe not masters, but like practitioners. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time is also just really well well done. So, Linz, why don't I kick off with you with the uh, Agni Kai? I, I was literally just about to say something. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> kind of like how you just kind of mentioning, you can kind of tell the sloppiness of Zhao. And I actually kind of think that um, that reveals a lot about his character itself because clearly he's not a master firebender. But he still is in a really high position of power. So it kind of makes you think to yourself, like, well, how exactly did he get to that point? So it kind of also makes you think about, because we've already seen, like, how he really just digs deep at Zuko. Like, how cunning he must be and, like, what kind of, like, manipulation he's, like, he's able to do. You know what I mean? And it kind of gets you to see him as, like, you, you gotta watch out for this guy. Because, like, yeah, clearly he may not be, like, the best firebender, but he is a force to be reckoned with if he is at this position of power. And then there was, like, this one thing that just bothered me during the Agni Kai is that they kept reusing some of the uh, same action scenes, and it really yeah. bothered me. <laughs> like, I understand, like, hey, yeah, use it once, whatever. And I was like, no, you already showed him backing up. Stop it. Nope, no more backing mm -hmm. up. No, stop it. And it just annoyed <laughs> me, but that was just me being picky. But love yeah. the battle. And it shows a lot yep. about Zuko, too, like... Just because he has the opportunity to do something, like, attack Zhao, like, and, like, possibly kill him or, like, really badly injure him, like, he doesn't. Because he, he essentially, he takes a high road. And I think that's cool of him. Mm-hmm. Charles? Um. I mean, to me, uh, first, the fighting was great. Uh, you can see how two... Like you said before, it's kind of like sword fighting practitioning. Um, also, you can see that Zhao is pretty arrogant throughout most of the fight. Until the very end when uh, Zuko tri literally trips him up and then starts making him backpedal until he falls over. Mm 
Um, he's always, like, smiling when Zuko does his stuff and blocking it in, like, real fancy ways. Mm-hmm. But to me, like, it... I guess it's not during it, but right after when <laughs> uh, Zuko opts not to finish him off or, you know, just leave him, like, physically intact or with his pride wounded, mm-hmm. and Zhao can't accept that, um, first, it it it's a really important point for Zhao as a character, because we see for him, yeah, he's real cunning, yeah, he needles people real well, but he's also really, clearly, really thin-skinned. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take insult, he, like, insults to him well either, mm-hmm. so he's pretty good on offense and not great on defense emotionally. And that's also kind of the interpretation, or my interpretation of the fight, too. His uh, offensive moves seemed way better than his defensive moves, yeah. and yeah, he's you know clearly he's rough, right? He's no he's no Iro, he's no Azula, he's no Rosai, uh, and no Roku or Sozin, but you know just stylistically, and then and then he and then I'm after the fight when he can deal with the loss. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to yeah. think of what to say about that, because holy shit. I mean, he's just, he's an asshole. But I also, this kind of gets back to, like, I, I think before that we see now uh, kind of like the other side of, of Iroh with, like, the whole respect thing we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, where now the it's sort of the, the coin is flipped. Zhao is the one who's being disrespectful, and Iroh's like, no, you don't do that. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, he's protecting Zuko obviously doesn't want him to get, you know, shot in the back with fire. But it's like there's also this level of no, you don't. This is how you act in defeat, like disgraceful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it kind of shows more of that, like how much Iroh has, and then obviously Iroh keeps Zuko from from lashing out again. And it's sort of like don't taint your victory. Like you, you won. This is how you act in victory. That's it. Yeah. And I and I just I just think that 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 keeps to this like very consistency that it is Iroh's character. Good Uncle Iroh. Love him. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm also uh, mm-hmm. really, um, I, I mean, it's less a point about the, about his character, but I also find it kind of amazing that he blitzed across the entire field. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I mean, think He's... about it, right? Like, Zuko's been pushing Zhao back to his side of the field. He gets up, starts walking away. Zhao immediately kicks back. Uh, Iroh's been spectating from Zuko's side of the field the entire time. So he blitzes across the kitchen. I mean... (laughs) Sounds like Iroh. We're we're not supposed to interpret it like that, right? It's just supposed to be, oh, you know, he's... I mean, this is a man who can do one-handed pull-ups in a jail cell. Yeah, I know. Like, clearly, since we know Iroh, it's like, oh, it makes sense. It makes sense <laughs> that he's like that. Yeah. Um, and I also love how much, like, he's, like, how much you know he's standing up for Zuko there with, like, talking about how Zuko is more honorable in exile than, than Zhao is. And I just, like, it's, it's like, Iroh really knows how to sort of, pra- like, the way to get to Zuko and the way to praise him there. And I just, that I think is... Is a nice touch, um, and then I like that they then sort of swing back to Iroh, you know the 
the the T line. Like we, it's it's that I we get <laughs> mm-hmm. we go from like Iroh being a badass, Iroh like standing up for his nephew and being great, and then I ah oh, that I told you, Jasmine T <laughs> is my favorite, and it's like that's Iroh's character there, and it's great, it's just so great. Um, so then we go back across to um to the Air Temple, and and we get sort of the the closing scene there, um, and I. I, I mean, obviously, right off the bat, you can see, like, the effect Katara can have on Aang. Um, and yes, as a Katang shipper, I'm going to sort of be like, oh, look, Katang. But um, that's a, this one is a little bit of a stretch. Um, I feel but like I that's do think... more of basic human being friendship, but okay. <laughs> yes, well, fair enough. But I do. what I do think is interesting is how, like, how quickly Katara is to start of saying, like, oh, we're your family. Like they've been traveling together for a relatively short period of time, but like very obviously, they've ha- they've grown a pretty strong bond with each other, and I just think that that's very, um, y- there's there's something there about how quick Katara is to 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 using that word and to using that uh, to feeling that level of connection mm. between the three of them. Yeah. Um, and then the the line, and then when. Um, when Aang says like I real I really am the last Airbender like that that line hits you so hard mm-hmm. I mean that that's just oh god I feel like that one really just makes it real like if there's yeah. any doubt before like no like he is the last one mm-hmm. and now they have to yeah. now he especially he has to figure out like exactly what he's gonna do because he there's no one to guide him really yeah although. The one thing I do get to is like he just like he goes through this like he sees the brutality of the Fire Nation. He clearly sees like what the war is, and yet then he goes and rides an elephant koi in. in hey, Kiyoshi. well, listen. If you had an opportunity to ride an elephant, an elephant koi, would you not do it? I mean, maybe, he's, but I might no, wait until after it. the war was over. He's repressing, Mark. Well, that's the point. No, that's my point. He is repressing. Like he's like this. Even as as emotional as this is, as much as this 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 whole experience carries weight for him, he doesn't. It doesn't snap him into gear. It's not. He doesn't immediately say, "Okay, I understand my job. I'm gonna I'm gonna defeat the Fire Nation to avenge my people, or I'm gonna defeat the Fire Nation because they're terrible and no one else should have to suffer like this." He kind of just retreats back into himself and goes and you know goes to Kyoshi or goes to Omashu and goes and does this. And I just that's that's Ang. Like that's the whole mm-hmm. that's Ang's. His, the problem he has in book one and to some degree in book two and that's yeah. that's the point and I think it's just important to note it here like as much as this await this this episode has all this emotional weight and we see all this this setup for Aang for, for moving forward he doesn't act on it very quickly yeah yeah although I also kind of consider it to be with he has accepted this uh, that he is the lone like he is the last airbender and like I don't know if he's really accepted that he is the Avatar yet, but like he is no, aware I don't of think like he has at all. no, he like he is aware of like this type of thing. But and while I do agree that he is repressing stuff, definitely, I also feel like it's important to also just he needs to have some type of fun in his life, or he would like go crazy. Yeah, and I mean, right after this, a little bit of normal makes Ang laugh with Momo and and. You know, mm-hmm. taking the peach and stuff. So, and like, we definitely face. do see that. We uh, Sokka's face, yes. Face. Uh, we definitely do see that. Um, so that pretty much wraps it up. We talked about the last shot already, so I don't, we don't need to rehash that. Mm-hmm. So 
now we heard Corey's already, so let's uh, let's throw it around now for everyone else. Uh, Lindsay, how has this episode changed for you since the first time you watched it, and what is your rating out of ten? I think basically, um, it's it's changed for me over the years, just because when I first saw this, I was probably like twelve, and I honestly wasn't aware of big. I wasn't as aware as I am now of like big issues like genocide, and I'm. I'm older now. I, I'm aware of that. And I feel like this is like, it's such a deep episode because of that type of like thing that happens. Like as a kid, you're like, Oh yeah, they're all gone. But now like, especially as um, an adult, I'm thinking to myself like, Oh my God, like it's literally an extinction of a whole people. And it's like, it's similar to like tragedies we've had, like within the past, like hundred, 150 years, like in the world. And so it kind of, I'm aware kind of more now of, like, the darker aspect of this show, I feel like. And I feel like it's going to keep, really like, coming up. And um, I also feel like, this again, uh, as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, it definitely just brings you more characterization of uh, Zuko himself. Like, it, it's just a great way of introducing kind of some kind of, like, he, like, humanity to him, kind of. Like, it shows a possible weakness. It shows It shows a point in which, like there there's a reason why he is like this and why he is doing this and it it's just a great episode in terms of both characters both uh Zuko having to um deal with this whole Zhao situation and then Aang has to deal with this idea of like he is alone everything he knows like it's completely gone and he has to start fresh and he he just has to do it like there's no other choice of like you can't go back to anything so mm-hmm. That's my feeling about the episode. Very strong. I'm going to go for a 9.5. Wow. That's going to be the lowest rating on this episode. It's interesting. Uh, Charles. Oh, man. This episode. Um, (laughs) I have to mirror what Lindsay said. Uh, When I first saw this, there's no way, like, as a kid, you consider how, like, devastating the death of an entire people are. Like, you're watching it, it's like Saturday morning cartoon, or like, yeah. after school cartoons, <laughs> like, you're not thinking about I that, you're thinking about, I took a math oh. test, and now let's go watch Avatar. Yeah, exactly, it's like, <laughs> I just want to kick back, relax, watch something that's, it's got some action, got some humor, but now watching it as, you know, older, as an adult, it's like, oh my god, this is terrible, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Um... But to me, also, like, I appreciate how they built up Zuko's character also, but I also like how this episode, they hint a lot about the world without being explicit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know we talked about that during the opening pair of episodes, but there it was was more, like, directly explained. Um, We have... Because Hara filling us in on the history of the water tribes and telling us about the war and all of that. And, and Sugo and Iroh give like direct exposition too. But here it's like, okay, we get our first glimpse of the Fire Nation as a nation. Like the militaristic camp they have set up where Zhao is, their mm-hmm. general behavior and attitude, the importance of pride and honor to mm-hmm. them as a people. And then how, um, on the flip side, we have the Air Temple, and, you know, clearly, 
uh, how it's empty, how it's been clearly abandoned for a long time, and how there's like a uh, sorry, I'd lost right. train of thought. That's all right. But yeah, um, yep. so I, I like that part of it a lot. Mm-hmm. If I had to rate the episode, I'd probably give it a nine 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 point three maybe okay um there's some episodes of avatar i think that were more or that i i liked more but this episode's like amazing mm-hmm. uh, i liked it a lot as a kid and i think now especially with the darker overtones it has mm-hmm. i appreciate it even more mm-hmm. right cool um, so for me, I, I don't think this episode has changed all that much, um, over the years. I think that, I mean, obviously you, it is a little bit heavier once you realize the level of, uh, of violence, a level of genocide and, and, and what the fire nation is. And obviously this is our first real taste of that. Uh, so I think that this, this episode does a great job. I, 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 there's a lot of things about this episode that I, that I really genuinely like. Um, I think this is just a really well put together episode. Um, there's, there's, not really much to complain about, um, you know, small detail things aside. Um, but I don't think I'm as high on it as you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm still very high, uh, and I'll give my rating now. I'm going to give it an 8.7, which is a very high rating. I'm not, no, you know, for that's, you, that's, that's pretty high. <laughs> in no way is that is that taking away from from this. Uh, I'm definitely like Corey saying this, this is one of his favorite episodes of the show. I, I'm not I'm not there yet. I think that there's there's episodes that I think do a little bit better are a little bit better at, at some other things uh but this is this is a phenomenal episode um i love the the agni kai uh i think that that's it's one of the, it's just a really high quality fight scene i love um all of the weight that they put on on these things um i do agree with charles that he said at the beginning i do think that some of the exposition is a little bit forced and i wasn't in love with some of the comedic scenes like the airball scene i think was a little weird um it felt a little off to me um i thought that the um like Katara, like I understood her the motherliness, but like the this is a new waterbedding trip. I learned. I thought that was kind of off, a little off in terms of what she was trying to say. Um, so I, I don't, I'm not as high, but I think it's still a great episode. Um, so yeah, so I think this is this is really good, and I, I'm I'm happy you guys, um, you guys are, are so high on some of these early episodes because I think it it does show like how much how great this show started off. That this is not a show that mm-hmm. took time to get going. So if you're ever trying to show this episode, you know Corey said if you're trying to show this show to someone, you know show them this episode. I I, I do agree with that to some degree that if you can get to ep- if you can watch the first three episodes, I think that you're this this show is is you're in a good place um, yeah. in general. Uh, so that's gonna pretty much wrap it up. Unless you guys have anything else uh, you want to add. I love Momo. I'm so excited for more Momo. That's I mean, it. <laughs> I mean, Mo- Momo. Momo has mastered several jigs himself. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so, um, go, yep, it's gonna be like a quarter of a year later that we talk about this. But I just <laughs> so realized, the point of this podcast is to do stuff like this. So go ahead. I just realized, man, Northern Air Temple is. Really unfortunate. Oh Holy yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. That'll be a fun yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 
on that note. <laughs> yes, on that note, we're going to wrap things up. So uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash auntwoo underscore pod. Uh, you can tweet at us, send us questions, and we will answer them if they come out. You can also leave comments on iTunes as we are up on iTunes as well as on our SoundCloud. Um, so that's great. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am stack underscore mode, S-T-A-C underscore M-O-D-E. You can see my tweets about uh, when I'm podcasting, <laughs> when I do some casting, StarCraft casting, um, as well as other random esportsy or other random things. Um <laughs> We will be back again next week. Uh, Hope you guys enjoyed it, and we will talk to you soon. And I hope everyone has a great Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yay! Three, two, one.